I appreciate the Spirit of the Lord that's here this afternoon. I want to speak about the forgotten or ignored prayer request. The forgotten or ignored prayer request. I have uh, noticed quite often sometimes the likeness that sometimes we take a prayer request to God. Be a regular service, and service progresses to the point that you receive requests for prayer. And, uh, the minister says, Is there any request for prayer tonight? And there are several spoken requests around about the congregation. For instance, maybe toward the back of my wife tonight in prayer. That isn't uh, very many words, it's Perhaps all that he'll say. Just a lifted hand and a few words. He's a good man in the church that had been noticing for some time that his wife hadn't been feeling well. She wasn't in bed, but uh, she's been dragging about the place and not able to do her work. That night when it got time to uh, go to church, she said, uh, Honey, I, I just don't feel like going tonight. So the good brother comes to church with a heavy heart, and when they received the prayer request that night, well, he just lifted his hand and he said, I would like for the church to remember my wife tonight. That's all he said. But that was a place where he had paid his tithe. He had been faithful to the church, and that was his home, and that was the only place he knew to bring that request, and he presented it there to the congregation trusted them to bring it to God. Sometimes the uh, unspoken request, there's hands lifted, and I confess lots of times that I've just taken them as a matter of form and not too much of a burden for them. And I do believe that no one should lift their hand that they have an unspoken request for prayer unless they do, unless they have it in their heart and something that they have pointedly within brought to God. But then I do believe also that um, that request should be taken to the Lord honestly and sincerely. And our prayer for our request at night should not be just a matter of a lot of racket and we put our hands up and we just mouth out words. And, or it shouldn't even be a praise to God. It should be just what it's meant to be. That we purposely and individually, one by one and pointedly as we can remember them, Bring those requests to God and we present them to the Lord. I found myself here some time back uh, forgetting a lot of requests that were given to me. People asking me to pray for certain things and that I would forget it. This summer during camp meeting time, well, uh, I believe it was in District of Ohio, there was several people came and said, Brother Pugh, I- I'd like for you to uh, pray, help me pray about certain, certain things. The Holy Ghost seemed to speak to me and said, um, you'd better pray about that now, because if you don't, well, it'll be stolen from your mind. You get down to pray and you'll cast about, and who was that asked me to pray about something? And you can't remember it. It'll be gone from you. And so I just took to saying, well, suppose we'd better pray about that right now. Wherever we were, in the aisle or in the front or the back, and... I have even brought some of those requests to God on the street while the people pass by. So let's bow our heads and pray now. The forgotten prayer request. 
I've seen some uh, ministers who had a good procedure of having the people write them out, and then they brought them to the front of the service, and he read them out, and he had a record of the sick people, and also he named them, and the people could really take those requests to the Lord, and I thought that was a, a good way to do it. But here in the Bible, we have a request that was handed in at least three different times for prayer. And it's a strange thing that we forget that prayer request. If I should take a poll of this audience here and ask you today how long it's been since you took this prayer request that we're speaking about this morning, this afternoon, to God. Honestly, I, I don't believe there would be too many that could vote on, on that proposition. And it's amazing that since it was requested three times that we would forget to pray about it. And then considering the person who handed this request in, it's also amazing that we would um, forget to pray about it. After such emphasis, such strong emphasis, by the person who gave the prayer request, it's an amazing thing that we would forget. And yet we do. I want to read you that request from the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, second verse. But you began with the first. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. As well as I'm able to ascertain this afternoon, there were only three requests that Jesus made for prayer, and this is one of them, made three times. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. And yet we do not take that request to God. We do not pray that prayer. As a whole, we do not pray that prayer. Why do not we pray that prayer? Why don't we pray that? One reason is because that um, we fail to see the human agency is involved in the winning of human souls. We don't see the importance of it because we do not see that human agency is involved in the winning of human souls. Let us strike an allegory here today. Here is a good mother in Israel who has a daughter that's unsaved, who lives in a town 200 miles away. That daughter has been brought up in the ways of God, but after she married, well, she, uh, she didn't go to church. Her husband wasn't a churchgoer, and uh, so she not having the Holy Ghost, well, none of them went to church. But the old mother never forgot her child, and so she prayed for that girl. Oh, dear Lord, send her to church. Dear God, move upon her to go to church. Lord, uh, lay upon her heart to go to church. And lots of times we have prayed that prayer. Lots of us have prayed that prayer concerning individuals. And we fancy in our imagination the Spirit of God moving out independent of human agency and human hands and touching the heart of that uh, individual. We see in our imagination that person getting up on a Sunday morning and telling her husband, I'm going to church today, right out of the blue sky. We see them getting their little child ready and the two of them getting in the car and driving out under somewhere to a, a little Pentecostal church. We see in our imagination them stopping and getting out and her leading her little girl inside the church, and we think that's all wonderful. But it isn't so. It isn't so. Not very often is it so. God does not work independent of human agency very often. Not very often. 
The woman would have been better to have prayed this prayer request that Jesus handed in. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. It would have been better for her to pray, Oh God, move upon somebody in that church. Lord, talk to some saint in that church. Dear Lord, touch somebody's heart in that church. Send them to my daughter, dear God. And Lord, let them speak to my daughter and put a burden upon their heart for my daughter so that they will call her on the phone and they will visit her and they will never let her alone until finally she comes to church. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. God sitting in the seat of absolute independence has depended upon fallible beings such as you and I to spread his gospel to a lost and a dying world. He depends upon human agency to do that. That has always been the plan and the program of God. The ring of Noah's hammer long ago before the flood condemned a world that did not know God. I think of when the Lord needed a Bible and God needed uh, a Christ for this world. He needed a nation to produce that Bible and to give the world a Christ. How did he work that out? He chose a man from Ur of the Chaldees by the name of Abraham. And he said, Abraham, come out from among your kindred and your people. and You walk before me and I'll make you a great nation. I'll make your seed as many as the stars of the sky and the sandwiches by the seashore innumerable. He chose to work by the agency of one man. He chose him out and he picked out that man to work by. God always works by the medium of human agency. Now I think about a family, a large family. There's work to be done, especially if that family resides on a farm. There are chores to be done, and uh, there's various things that must be taken care of. And so it is that uh, there is various responsibilities that's relegated to the children in that family. Now, if your family was like our family and most of the families that I have met, lots of times the young people and the children in that family are quite well content for the chores to be done, providing that somebody else does them. They have no repercussion of conscience at all if they come in too late to bring in the water and the wood and, and take care of that. They don't uh, stay awake at night and shed bitter tears because they got home too late to take care of the dishes. They, they don't do that. And so it is with the business of winning souls. We're quite willing that the church should grow. We're all for the fact that souls should weep their way through to God, that should come streaming down the aisles an old-fashioned altar. We're willing that the Sunday school should grow. We're willing that the church should grow. We're willing for these things to take place, providing that somebody else does them. We're providing that it, uh, that it uh, all goes along, providing that somebody else does them. But my friend, this is a family affair. And we all have our part, and we all have our place. Ye are workers together with God. Ye are God's building. Ye are God's husbandry, the Bible says. Yes. And God has decreed that through you and I that the gospel should be brought to this lost world. And so in all of our praying, this one request that Jesus handed in is ignored. Yes, sir. And we ignore it because of the fact that we do not see the need of men. God works by men. God works by men. Not long ago, in the sectional conference, in our sectional conference, there was a man that uh, stood up and he had a proposition for the conference. He said, I want to go to South Carolina to establish a work. And we knew that this good brother was capable of doing that. He had a knack for street meeting work and a knack for personal work. And he said, I'm going to take a leave of absence from my church three months and then I, I'll go to South Carolina. I'm asking for a support from the section 
in the uh, dimension of uh, $50 a week while I'm away. You send me $50 a week. I'll take my own car, my trailer, and my tent, and I believe that I can bring in a church in three months' time. And so, when the proposition was broached to us, we asked the man to leave the conference, and we talked the matter over. We turned him down. We told him, no, we won't do that. And when he wanted to know why, the answer was given. We do not believe that any man can bring in and establish a church in three months' time, not here in America. That the establishment of a church takes some time, a lifetime. And it takes a long time, sometimes. And it's, as one man told me, it's the expenditure, sometimes, of a man's life into something. Or a series of expenditures such as that. To get something really rooted and grounded. And God chooses that men like me and girls like you folks that are sitting out there should give themselves to this task. And the work will not be done except it be done through the medium of human agencies. God looks for men and God looks for women. And God has decreed that his work be carried forward upon that basis and upon those grounds. Yes, sir. God does not bless committees. God does not bless organizations. God does, does not bless groups. He does not do it. He absolutely does not do it. What does God bless? He blesses men. He blesses individual men. God only blesses committees as individuals in that committee are recipient of God's blessings. God only blesses churches as individuals in those churches are qualified for God's blessings. God can only bless an organization as people who make up that organization are worthy of God's blessing. God does not deal with organizations. God does not deal with groups. God does not deal with committees. God deals with men, individuals. He died to save individuals. He died to save men. And God saves people one at a time. And God deals with people one at a time. Personally, this is a personal matter between you and your God. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It certainly is. And so it is, Cornelius. Your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. Your fasting has been much. Your almsgiving has been commendable. There is many good things that you've done. It's time now for your salvation. But, oh boy, if you're going to be saved, this angel that has appeared unto you will never bring to you the words of eternal life. Send a Joppa for one surname, Peter, who lodges with one Simon by the seashore. He shall tell thee words what thou must do to be saved. And so it is, eunuch, that trudges along, that gallops along the dusty desert road. And you read that book of Isaiah. Your heart is strained and touched. Oh, God in heaven knows the hunger of your heart. God knows the prayers that you've prayed. God knows the money that you spent for that expensive book that you've got in your lap. God knows all of that. But if you're going to be saved, there must be somebody brought to intercept you on your travels and teach you the words of eternal life. Samaria, if you're going to hear the word of God, a man must be sent to you. And so it is that God deals with people. And knowing that here this morning, it's no wonder that Jesus handed in that request. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. No laborers, no harvest. No sending, no gathering. No call, no service. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so it was said that when Jesus finished his message in his hometown that day, he closed the book, he gave it to the minister, and he sat down 
My friend, ever since Calvary, the book has been in the hand of the ministry. And the power to witness has been in the mouth of the church. And that's the only place. And again, the scripture said, I beseech ye in Christ's stead uh, as ambassadors of Christ. He said, in Christ's stead, I beseech you. In Christ's stead. In Christ's stead. The other day when I walked up to that door and knocked on it, and I heard the anguish sobs and the cries of somebody on the other side of that door, and I didn't know whether I was getting into a family row or what I was getting into. But being led by the Holy Ghost, I went ahead and knocked and went ahead and spoke to the people. Yes, sir. And just three weeks after the first meeting, the little uh, young lady was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I was in the stead of Christ that day. For he did not walk 8th Street. He did not come down to the 1800 block on 8th Street in person. I came in the stead of Christ. For he has no hands but your hands. And he has no feet but your feet. And upon this earth he has no mouth but your mouth. No, sir. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And again he said, as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Stewards of the manifold grace of God. My friend, when you defer from giving a witness concerning your Lord, and you let that man pass from your living room, and you let that young person pass from your presence, and you do not drop that good word about Jesus Christ, you have defrauded them of something that God meant for them to have. You were a steward of God's grace, but you didn't dispense His grace. You were a steward of His grace, but you defrauded a lost world of it, and you didn't give it to Him. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. No, we don't pray that prayer request. We don't take that to God once a day, once a week, or once a month. We don't carefully say, dear God, send them out. Lord, lay it on their hearts to go. God set people afar for witness. We don't do it. We don't because we forget that human agents is involved. And also because we ignore and forget this request, not seeing the need of laborers. We just simply don't see the need of it. Amen. It didn't say that we did. I didn't say that we didn't see the need of the harvest. It doesn't take much counting the beer barrels and hearing the rotten music that's on the radios and that comes out of the doors of some uh, establishments today to see that this is one mess of a rotten world that we're living in. We see the need of the harvest. We see that. But I somehow another wonder why that we do not see the need of, uh, of labors like we should. No allegory here this morning. Suppose that you were working for a man on a large estate. This fellow was a genteel fellow. Nothing was too small for him to do. He did not mind working. And any job, it didn't matter how little it was, he was glad to do it. And so you resided with him on this great estate. And uh, he didn't force you to work. You didn't have to work unless you wanted to. It was all a service of the heart. You could stay there as long as you wanted to. You didn't have to work. And so as the time went by, harvest time came around, and the great fields were filled with the waving grain, and there was a bumper crop in prospect that year. And as you looked out over the fields and you heard the weather forecast of hail and rain that was coming, and all of the people gathered out to the end of the rows, and uh, the, the machines were ready, and the great tractors were serviced, and the gas was in the tanks, and, and the combines and the reapers were... Um, were uh, all greased and everything was all set and, and uh, you remembered the fact that uh, the rain was coming, that the winter was near, that the hailstones would fall. And everyone turned and with tears in their eyes pleading, they uh, turned to the owner of the estate and they said, please, sir, 
gather in the harvest. Please, sir, gather in the harvest. Won't you please go out, sir, and gather in the harvest? The rain is coming, the hail will fall, and all of this beautiful, lovely harvest is going to be wasted. And the Lord says, you poor, foolish, silly children, don't you know that I have no hands but your hands, that I have no feet but your feet? If the harvest is to ever be gathered in, it'll be through your hands, it'll be through your mouth, it'll be through your feet. Praise God, praise God. Oh, the dire need of labors today. The dire need of labors today. How great it is, how great it is. Now I think here... This morning when a person is close to the work, they, they, they see the need of workers. They see the need of it. Yes, sir. A person that's near the work and the crop is getting away from them and the grass is uh, gaining on them, they don't mind asking somebody to come out and give them a hand for work. They certainly don't. I remember one time when uh, the grass was gaining on us and we had uh, rain, 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 and, uh, and the cotton was turning yellow because of rain. And the old Bermuda grass was higher than the cotton and you saw those little yellow uh, uh, plants sticking up there. And, and uh, uh, it was rough going around there on the farm. And we had uh, three cousins to come down and spend a week for us and with us. And uh, what did we do? Did we say, oh, here comes so-and-so. Let's all come out of the field now and, and go and entertain them. No, sir, we certainly didn't. We said, uh, we've got some extra holes around here. Uh, just come on in. You came at the right time. And uh, we need some help here. And uh, here's your hole, and there's a hole. And you'll find the fire sticking up on the, the fence post at the end of the row if, uh, if the hole needs sharpening. And, and uh, here it is. And, and come on and give us a hand. That man that's down yonder right next to the work, he knows the need of labors. The sun is bearing down upon his back, and the sweat is stinging his eyes, and he feels the grit of the field in his teeth, and uh, and the grasses are growing, and, and the tall trees are all around the little small flats, and the blue jays is uh, calling in the black gums, and, and it's hot and not a breath of air, and the sweat's running down his legs, and, and he don't mind asking somebody, come over here and, and haul around with me. Come over here and help me out. And I tell you, friend, that person that gets out there and knocks those doors and that person that gives those invitations and that person that goes and does that inviting and that person that goes into those homes and sees the hate behind those doors and hears all the stories of broken marriages and, and sees the longing in hearts and uh, that hears a cry of a lost hell-bound world, that man knows the need of that request. Uh, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest and pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Yes, sir. I think about Captain Booth tonight or today. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He came and uh, gave, he did what they call giving his heart to God. I guess he did about as much as anybody did in that damn time. At least he repented. And uh, so it was that he came in one afternoon and uh, he'd been out all day in the slums of London. He stood up on the street corners close by the muddy streets, and the flying horses' hoofs and the rolling chariot wheels had covered him with mud in the process of the day. He sought an opportunity to talk with the poor, bedraggled society of the slum area of London. And so when he came in that afternoon, all covered with the filth and the mud and the grime of the slum area of London, his wife looked at him and she said, William said, where in the world have you been today? And this was his answer. He said, I have been today standing as it were at the door of hell. The people that have come by me said, I have been standing as it were at the door of hell. 
And he said, Honey, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'm willing to go to the door of hell to save some. Amen. And he was the one that wrote those lines. Some like to live within the sound of temple bells, but give me a rescue mission within one yard of hell. Some love to live within the sound of temple bells, but give me a rescue mission within one yard of hell. I tell you folks, if there ever was a need in the United Pentecostal Church for something, it is for a fresh vision of souls. Oh, we need that in our constituency and in our ranks like we need nothing else. I tell you, if people in this world could get a fresh vision of souls, that would cure a lot of trouble. That would cure a lot of trouble. I know it would. It would take care of a lot of dissension in churches. We are eaten up with selfishness. There is a cancer of greed that eats our life away. Oh, God, help us not to forget that request. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Yes, sir. I think about years later, there was an old Salvation Army man that came into a little chapel in England in Nottingham. That was a place where William Booth had been supposed to have given his heart to the Lord. And this old man found his way into that little old chapel. He had on a faded, worn Salvation Army uniform. He had gray hair that was sticking out from under his uh, uh, uniform cap. His uh, shoulders were stooped with years of strenuous labor. And the old gnarled gentleman came into the church there, and there was a plaque on the wall that uh, stated the fact that it was here that, uh, that uh, William Booth was supposed to have given his, uh, his heart to the Lord. And the caretaker came into the chapel and saw that old stooped uh, gray-haired man, that old worker standing there. And uh, a, the man looked around at the caretaker. He didn't know whether he was an intruder or not, but uh, he asked him this question. He said, is it all right to pray here? Is it all right to pray here? And the caretaker said, why, sure, sir, it's, it's all right. He said, you go right ahead. And so the old fellow clenched his fist. And he looked at that plaque and he prayed a prayer. It wasn't very eloquent, but uh, it was from his heart. And he said, oh, dear God, do it again. Please, Lord, do it again. And the old fellow that had tramped up and down the stairs to the garrets and the places of poverty, the old fellow that had gone into the slum areas and to the houses of debauchery and had looked upon sin in its deep dyed color, realized the need of workers. And he said, God, raise up another man like that man. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. That's the reason why we don't pray this request. Our own hearts are not burdened like they ought to be. Oh, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'd lay it upon somebody's heart to go into the vineyard of, to labor. He wasn't asking for preachers altogether there. I'm, fear, I'm afraid that in that respect, that we as a united Pentecostal church have put far too much difference between the ministry and the laity in that respect. When I read the history of the primitive church, I find as far as witnessing was concerned that there was very little difference between the ministry and the layman. All of them were shot through with a burning burden for souls. All of them were fired up with a burning zeal to tell somebody about their Savior. And they went and preached it and gossiped it everywhere. And it's a duplication of that tonight that Jesus had in mind when he said, Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. 
That fellow up there on the porch doesn't know the need of the laborers in the field. It's that man that's out there knocking on those doors. He's the one that sees the need. One of the most beautiful sights that I ever saw took place some while back in our church. We were taking the census. It took us about two months to get it all of the whole city. Working on Sunday afternoon, dividing it up into blocks and uh, captains over each group and each group responsible for so many blocks of the city. And, and uh, one of the fine personal workers in the church uh, came across a, a woman and uh, invited her out to church and, and she came. And even before she received the Holy Ghost, she asked permission to help us in taking the church census. And uh, about the third night that she was at church, well, she came to the altar. And the Lord gloriously filled her with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I was standing at the pulpit, and I was looking down at her praying, and I saw that light, that wonderful light, come on her face when the Holy Ghost came in. And I saw her chin jerking, her lips trembling, and I heard her speak in tongues. And after she had spoken in tongues for a while, and the people had worshipped, and and the praise of God's people had subsided. She opened her eyes, looked around. She was full of the love of God, full of the Spirit of God. She looked around and she looked like she was searching for somebody. And then she saw the one that she was looking for. And it wasn't me. It was that woman, Ruby Flagg, that had found her. That had gone to her house. That had knocked on her door that had invited her to church. She fell up on her neck. Ruby Flag was Christ to that woman that day. I beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. She was Christ to her that day. Praise God. Christ's mouth and Christ's hands. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the most faithful workers that we have in our church today was a man that the Lord gave me a special burden for. Came across him and began to visit him. Brother Goodrose was assisting me at that time. We'd visit him not less than once a week. We really took him on our heart in prayer to win him. And uh, time went by and it didn't look like we were making much headway with him. The old boy had a heart attack. Went to the hospital. We visited him in the hospital. And uh, he came home. Looked like that he was going to get all right. He had another heart attack. We just kept on visiting him. Kept on praying with him. He hated me. He hated me with a passion. He cussed me for every dirty name that he could lay his tongue to. I just kept coming. Just kept coming. Praise God. His wife had a nervous breakdown, and I just kept coming. One night we had a revival going on. Families going to church. I looked ahead of me, and there was a a black Buick driving along. I said, I said, honey, I said, that's the Thames car. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if they came to church tonight? And uh, we came down to the, where Blue Bunnet intersected 16th Street. And they could either go on straight or they could turn to the right on the street that came right down in front of our church. And I held a hold of that wheel and I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, make him turn that wheel, Lord. 
He put on his blinker and he turned right. I said, thank the Lord. We prayed right behind him. He had a prayer meeting right behind his car all the way down the street. Got down close to the church and that right blinker came on again. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He came in the back door of the church, found his way. The glory of God was coming down that night. I have no apology to make for the old-fashioned demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I have no apology to make for healing in the church today. I have no apology to make for things like that because it was in the New Testament church. And I'm bold to ask for everything that belongs to me as a minister of the gospel. I'm not afraid of the power of God. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not latter rain, but I'm not afraid of the power of God. Amen. 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 That night, the old boy felt his need of prayer for his body. Healing line for him. He got mad, started to leave the church, but when he got the aisle, instead of going out the door, he came this way. Got in the healing line. When that line moved along, came on by and, and came to him, Mr. Thames, what do you have need of tonight? He looked up at me, no telling how many times he'd cuss me out. And he said, I need healing for my body. But he got started and he couldn't stop. And he said, in salvation for my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's a, one of the best friends that I've got today. I believe he loves me. Praise God, I stood between him and hell. And I said, devil, you're not going to have me. <laughs> Do you care? God wants people that cares to interested in ourselves. To interested in ourselves. I'm realizing more and more that God did not call me to preach to accumulate a great big congregation. God didn't call me to preach to accumulate a nice sizable group of people. He did not call me to preach for that. He called me to preach to preach the gospel to a lost and a dying world and to pastor the people that might have happened to have gotten saved as a result of that gospel and try to prepare them as a bride for Jesus Christ. And the church and the congregation and the accumulation and the building and all of that is supposed to take care of itself. But I am to put first things first, bless your heart. Put first things first. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. I cannot justify a new church. I cannot justify any program in the church unless it uh, ultimately culminates in the salvation of souls or the keeping of saved to those who are already saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. The concern of the native missionary workers is for labors. They see the need. They see the need. No wonder Jesus gave us this request. Folks, pray that more people will go out and be a worker for the Lord. I want us to pray that prayer right now. Shall we pray? Oh, blessed Jesus. Blessed Jesus. Blessed Jesus. Blessed Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God.
bless your name, further forgotten or ignored this prayer request of Jesus Christ because we fail to see that all of the church are supposed to be laborers, not just the preacher, but every lasting member of the church who has been washed white in the blood of Jesus Christ and all of you young people that sit on this side and here and here and there, every lasting one of us, to be laborers for him. We shrink back from that word labor. We do not like the word labor. Don't like it. We would like to have a church that would be a push-button affair, highly organized, that would run with a minimum effort. I've observed in the instigation of some uh, Sunday school changes sometimes that there is complaints about it. And almost invariably, the people that are complaining about a new Sunday school change that you might make are people who are being inconvenienced personally by that change. And it's made it just a little harder on them. And since it has, they don't like that. They do not like that system. We're a lazy people. We do not like the word labor. We don't like it. I think about someone in our church that I appreciate so much. We have absentee board there. Every teacher that... Uh, all of our absentees are posted on that board in the form of card, cards on a hook. I had to pick those cards up and, of course, make the visits and put them back in another box where I can find out the result of that visit by Saturday night. Some, of course, are dilatory about it. Don't do it, but there are some of them, bless your heart, that, that, that call is made. It's written out that they were so-and-so. I visited them. I had a nice visit in their home. The reason they were not here Sunday was this and so-and-so and so-and-so. Or I called them, I did this, I did that, and it's all there. I appreciate that. God wants people like that, lots of them, lots of them. Send forth labors into his harvest. Praise the Lord. God did not call upon the church to build orphanages, but we have one. He didn't call upon the church to have a Bible schools, but we have them. He did not call upon us to build church buildings, but we have them. He did not call upon us to have a printing print, but we have it. And all that's well and good, every one of them. I don't believe that God's displeased with any of it. But God didn't ask us to do it. God didn't ask us to do it. But the one thing that he asked us to do, we will not do. And that is to get out and witness to the lost and get the lost saved. The day has passed by, my friend. When you can put an ad in the paper and a few announcements on the radio when you have a revival and expect your church to be filled up, it doesn't work that way in Port Arthur anymore. I found that it doesn't work like that in a lot of people uh, in places where you're pastoring. The time has come when every individual in the church should assume this responsibility of a New Testament Christian. That is, every one of us should be gospelers and talkers and witnesses for the sake of the gospel. And that is God's plan. That is God's plan. And I, this thing has got a hold of me. This is not the sermon that I had hoped to preach. It's not much of a young people's sermon, but it's sure got a hold of my heart. I want to tell you this. I tell you the extent that it's got a hold of my heart. I have gotten so hungry to see a church on the New Testament pattern. 
of the Spirit of God moving and healing and demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. I have gotten so hungry, not just to brag and say we've got gifts and things like that. I've always kind of been afraid of them in a way. I never have, uh, I never have prayed for gifts very much. But I have also gotten hungry to see people come to God on the New Testament pattern and saved on the New Testament pattern. That is, by the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I have gotten hungry for that. And I have come to the place where I decided to put God to a test. And over a period of years, I have been trying to develop the church that I pastor into a New Testament church with a New Testament burden, with every member of the church feeling his and her responsibility to the lost. Feeling it so much though we are in the need of money, and we need money desperately. We're in need right now of $100,000. But needing money that bad, I felt the burning of this burden to such an extent. And well, I told our ladies, no more selling. No more auxiliary work. We need the money. But souls need to be saved worse. And we're going to trust God for the money while we do what God told us to do. And when we meet together, we will pray. And then we will go out and we will knock doors. And we will visit. And we will call upon people. That's not a very lucrative business. There's not much money in it. (laughs) But it's God's way. It's God's way. Sir, living, having church in an old building, frame building, it's been standing, we've been having church in 35 years. It's a rough looking customer. We need a new building. We'll have one. We'll have one, but it'll be a byproduct of the main business. The main business is evangelism. 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 No, the paramount need of this organization is a fresh glimpse of the primitive pattern. Solve a lot of problems, I tell you. People get their eyes on Jesus and on a lost world going to hell. Stop a lot of talk. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I don't say that just as a matter of trying to excuse myself of ever trying to undersell this glorious message that we've got. I don't say that with a view in mind that that it means that I'm going to soft pedal the message of holiness or what it takes to really be saved. No, sir. I preach... John 3 and 5 and Acts 2.38 is the same thing. If you don't have Acts 2.38, you just, you just don't have it, brother. That's right. I believe in holiness. believe in it as strong as anybody. Thank God I preach it. I preach it. I wouldn't have a Sunday school teacher to teach a class in my church that cut her hair 
or one that had a television in their house. I wouldn't have a board member of my church that had a TV or a Sunday school teacher. I wouldn't have them. Amen. And yet, on the other hand, and yet, on the other hand, there's a lost world that laps at my doorstep. That's the thing that breaks my heart today! We'd all get along with one another better if we saw more of this. Selfishness is eating us up. Oh, God, let's pray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the benefit of the laymen that are here this afternoon, I'd like to say this. I don't think that you could take your Bible and prove to me today that it's the pastor's business to get out there and get those lost people into your church. Your pastor is what he is. He's a pastor. You might say, well, the Bible said do the work of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? Paul, writing in Ephesians, said that the evangelist was for the edification of the church, for the work of the ministry, edification of the body of Christ. What is edification? It's building up the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. A shepherd does not give birth to sheep. Sheep give birth to other sheep. It's the work of the church. It's the work of the church. I pastored a church one time. And uh, if I ever failed, it looked like I failed there. Did everything that we could to make things go. Young in the Lord, the ministry, I didn't mind working. My wife didn't mind working. We didn't have a children at that time, and bless your heart, we worked. We didn't have a car, but rode buses. We'd ride a bus sometime to the end of the line and walk a couple of miles further into the country, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. Did we get anybody to come? Yes, sir, we sure did. I can get people to come to church. I can get them to come to church. I can go out any week. Just take any week and I can go out and I can get somebody to come to church. I can do it. And you can do it too. We got them to come. Did it work? No. Why didn't it work? It wasn't God's way. Get uh, Brother Jones, Mr. Jones to come to church. We come out there on Sunday morning and there's Mr. Jones. Yes, sir. He told us he's coming, didn't he? And he did come. Yes, sir, Mr. Jones, we're glad you're here today. You make yourself right at home now. I've got to go ahead and take care of the service. And so I leave Mr. Jones sitting right there in a strange church, one that he's never been in before. And I go and I take care of the services. I'm way up here at the pulpit, and Mr. Jones is way back there at the back of the church, and there's a big difference between me and him. He is uh, a layman, and, and I am a preacher, and he's not saved, and, and I'm a preacher. 
And there's not very much that he and I have in common, and I don't know what kind of work he does, and I haven't done too much work on my hands, and not too much I can talk to him about, and uh, that, that guy don't understand my problems. He don't really know my needs. He's a preacher, and, and he felt ill at ease around me, you know, and, and so on. The people came in, and, and they looked over there, and they didn't have a burden for souls, and, well, I wonder who that family, new family here, hmm, I wonder who they are. And they went and took their seat and sat out, and, and um, the service went on, and and uh, so after a while, well, uh, the service is over, and everybody, well, they, they stayed for church. Uh, I hope they come back. Yes, sir. New family in church today. Well, here they are. Run out the door. There it was. Strange church. The only person he ever knew there was the preacher. And the preacher, he hurried back to catch him before he could get out. And, so glad you came. So glad you came. Now then, what if Brother Smith had brought Mr. Jones to church? And he said, said uh, Mr. Jones, uh, I want you to come out to church. we got a fine preacher, good, uh, good, uh, good Sunday school class. If you ever come once to our Sunday school, I believe you'll come back again. You'll really enjoy it, and we'll make you feel at home. And, and you're not in church anywhere. You ought to be in church. Sure, come on. Church habit's a good habit to have. Come on out to church. Okay, uh, Jim, I'll sure be there. So when Jim comes in that morning, look at there. Well, hello here, Jack. Bless your old heart. You, you told me you was coming, didn't you, boy? Get a slap on the back and scoot over. You can't have all the seat. Let me sit down beside you. Sir, somebody come in. Uh, say here. Joe, come over here. I want you to meet a good friend of mine. Works on the job with me. Been telling me a long time he's going to come out to church. He came out to church this morning. Hello there. How are you? Mr. Jones? Yes, sir. We're glad to have you here. Here, have a songbook. Uh, sing with us. We're just kind of old-fashioned around here. We really enjoy our religion. You just uh, take this book here and you sing with us. Yes, sir. We got the finest preacher in the country. Um, you, you know the preacher very well. Uh, don't run off. I want, I want you to meet our pastor after Sunday school's over. After church is over, uh, so-and-so, come meet my friend, Mr. Jones. Well, the time Mr. Jones gets out of there, he, he thinks that he's kin to the Queen of England. Yes, sir. And then when that man finally gets the Holy Ghost, the man is already tied to the church. He doesn't have to get acquainted with people in the church. He already knows them. That's God's way. That's God's plan. Amen. Praise. Praise the Lord. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. It did not work because it was not God's way. We worked our heads off practically and I almost broke my wife's health. And the church went down, 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 down. And you couldn't live on $2.50 a week either. Praise the Lord. That hurt me. It took me three years to get over that failure. But I believe that I see God's way now. I believe I more clearly see what God wants done. I tell you whether we never build a church or not, we're going God's way. Going God's way. And there's something about it that gives me a boldness to say, and Lord Jesus Christ, I am expecting this person to be healed now. I'm coming your way. Nothing else matters but your will and your way. Sir, and you ladies be out here Wednesday. We want at least 50 visits made. Amen. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God.
is a blessing to it. I think about the woman that came to me and turned her eyes up to me, filled with tears in the saints' meeting on New Year's Eve. She said, Brother Pugh, I'm convinced of the fact that I never will have the joy of the Lord in my heart like I ought to have it until I get back to my personal work. I said, you're exactly right about that. Because nobody can be a real overcoming Christian unless you're interested in others. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The reason why there's a lot of sick saints in churches is because that they never witness for Jesus Christ. They never give their testimony. They're never interested in somebody else. I feel this on my heart this afternoon, folks. And it's true. It's true. It's very true. Praise the Lord. There was a man one time that was seeking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I took him home one night and he said, Brother Pugh, I'm convinced the reason why I haven't got the Holy Ghost. I said, what is it? He said, I have not confessed Jesus Christ. He said, I haven't told the fellows about it on the job that I work with. I said, Alvin, a, that might be it. I said, you take care of that tomorrow, will you? He said, I'll sure do it. When he stepped back inside the church the next night, I, I, I knew he'd taken care of it. He could hardly wait to tell me about it. He said, we were waiting around our desk before we started our work. And he said, I thought to myself, here's as good a time as any. I said, say, fellas, I want to tell you something. I said, uh, I, uh, something happened to me. I said, what's that, Alvin? I've turned over a new leaf. Oh, is that right? Yes, sir, turn over a new leaf. I've been going down to the First Pentecostal Church in Westlake, and uh, I, uh, I, I'm quitting my smoking. I'm quitting my playing at uh, dances. I'm giving my heart to God. I'm going to church, and it's going to be different with me. And he said, I expected them to make fun of me, but said, I just bowled them over. I took them aback and said, they just didn't hardly know what to say. And one after a while, one of them stuck out his hand and said, well, more power to you, boy. I hope you make it. Amen. And said, I felt so good inside, I could hardly wait to get out of there and go down those stairs and go over there to the corner where there was a stock room and put open that door and get in there in that dark stock room and close that door and get out on my knees. Thank God and thank the Lord for what he's done with me. You'll never know the real joy of salvation until you do the work of Jesus Christ. That is witnessing to the lost, witnessing to the lost, witnessing to the lost. Sweetest and the greatest moments of my life has been when I have been instrumental in getting somebody saved. That is the purpose of the church, the intent of the church. Praise the Lord, and young people can do it too. Now close in mentioning that. We had once had a group of young people in our church that we just let them go too far. Uh, that's been several years ago. But we wanted to keep them coming to Sunday school, and we didn't want to offend the pretty little things, and, and we wanted to, you know, just baby them along, and, and we just practically let anything go by. Those, uh, did it help? Did, uh, did it help us keep them? No, it sure didn't. Anybody that can wipe their feet on you won't respect you. And so... Uh, Time went by, it developed into a very selfish group of young people. We're not having enough social around here. Come to a social and, hmm, that little old kid game, I want to play that. And, uh, you know, that, that was the kind of young people we had. And finally, the Lord helped me to uh, open my, my eyes and I said, that's not God's way. Bless your heart, no more drawing back to a Sunday school teacher. I'll come up and get you, and I'll take care of you. And nobody is running there over this church and wiping their feet on it, and uh, we're going to straighten up around here and fly right. If you don't like it, well, that's the way we run this church here. Praise God. 
Preach the good word of God. Preach it straight. You don't, you don't, uh, you're not a, can't be a sportster and, uh, and play up here on this, this, this rostrum. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's thus and so. Thank God. We want you to be a good Christian. We love them. We preach the gospel. We pray. Praise the Lord. There's a big job to be done around here, young people, and you have to be a part of the family. Pitch in here. Let's get some of these chores taken care of. There's some visits need to be made, and the work of the church needs to be done. Praise the Lord. Gradually, we work them into that. <laughs> Christmas scenes, nativity scene in front of the church, and young people doing it, and, and the donkeys, real live animals, and stuff like that, and floats for parades that we could uh, conscientiously participate in, the young people taking care of that, and, and uh, caroling at Christmas time. Of course, they were ready to do that and sing to people that they knew, and and uh, they were ready to do that. But uh, then uh, there was that wonderful night that uh, when we got them out, that uh, where are we going to next? We're going right down on Proctor Street. Going where? Right down on the Main Street. Amen. We'll park such and such a place. Pile out, kids. We're going to sing up and down the streets tonight. Amen. It's Christmas time. Praise the Lord. And the great, wonderful story of Jesus Christ needs to be sung. Right through the biggest stores, singing to the top of our voices. Through the shopping centers, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And lo and behold, they begin to like it. Thank God. And then there was the Christmas services in the hospital when the people wouldn't be home for Christmas and our young people to go in and conduct room-to-room services with them, giving them some little cookies that they'd bake themselves and things of that nature. Praying with them before they left, singing them some Christmas songs, praise the Lord, leaving some cheer in the place of suffering, praise the Lord. Halloween come instead of a party, what are we going to do tonight? We're going to go do some door-to-door work. This is a wonderful night for it. Little packets made up with tracks in them. A little note in there. This is not a trick, but it's a treat for you. You've been called on tonight by the young people of the First Pentecostal Church. Tracks in this uh, envelope are some of the things that we believe and practice. These young people don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't dance. Their lives are clean. They're pure. They're holy. We would appreciate your presence in our church. Praise God. Praise God. Telephones. There's a lot of them in the phone book. Young people take it upon their heart to call on every number in that book. That every number in that book is called on and everybody that's got a phone does get an invitation to come to the First Pentecostal Church. Means of telephone brigades. And then developed into finally the Soros Club. The stipulations there. You've got to fast so many days a week. And you've got to put in so many hours of prayer. And you've got to personally witness to so many people to even be a member of it. And with meetings every other week at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And good uh, seasons of prayer put in. At that, praise the Lord. And the witnessing that goes with it. And the boys finally, after a while, got to when they had a date. Well, instead of going out... Um, Somewhere, well, they just took it visiting. Amen. There's old Bill and Bunny in our church, really sweet on one another. I guess they'll finally get married. Yes, sir, and on Saturday afternoon, sometime about the city, I can see that little red, now that little white and blue Chevrolet. I turn a corner and I look, and there's Bill and Bunny. Hulk my horn, what, what are you folks doing? Oh, we're out making some Sunday school calls this afternoon. Praise the Lord. Is there anything, anybody that you know of that you would like for us to call on? Praise God. That's putting Christ in your courtship and liking it. Hallelujah! New Testament pattern. God's way. Unselfishness. Not a little bit of Christ, but all for Christ. 
Thank God, thank God, thank God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God wants to bless us so much that we, we couldn't even dream how much God wants to do for us. That's right. But we're wrapped up in the small shell of our own selves. Look on the fields. They're already white in the harvest. Praise the Lord. I remember one time the Lord entrusted a very precious thing into my hand when I was 13 years old and I didn't fail. I mentioned this before and you know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I had the Holy Ghost. My sister had the Holy Ghost. I was 13 years old. She was 16. Mom didn't have the Holy Ghost. She was a widow woman and she, she didn't have the Holy Ghost. She was old and we lived three miles from church. It was a long way for a 60-year-old woman to walk especially after she'd chopped cotton all day in the hot sun. So mom didn't go to church much. She'd sing her old songs as she sat on the edge of the porch, and we'd find her reading her Bible. And unbeknown to us, one day we waked up to the fact that she quit dipping her snuff, and she was actually praying. And we were grateful for that, but we were so selfish, and we were enjoying church so much that we didn't even think. And then one night, well... The Lord gave me a dream, and I dreamed that I saw my mother in hell. The fire was sweeping, and the tongues were leaping, and my mother came up through the fire, her long gray hair sweeping back in the fire. She looked up to me, and she saw me. She called my name, my nickname, Oh, buddy, 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 help me, buddy. And I couldn't do anything. She was in hell. Just shot me. I just wept. I had my tears soaked my pillow. Finally, after a while, I got to sleep. But the next day, on the way to the cotton patch, I told Ivanel, I said, we're going to have to get Mama in church. That's all there. Yes, we did. We stood on her, and, and she had to walk three miles to church, but we got her there. I remember how that she came to the altar about three times, and then I remember on a Friday night how that she was gloriously filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember the very next Sunday night that she came and she said, Son, that I feel bad. I don't believe I can walk to church tonight. I don't think that I can get there. And so it was that I told her goodbye and went to church. Came in that night and I went to her bed. She had a pan there. She'd been vomiting. She said, I'm sick. Prayed and I lay down on the bed and went to sleep. About four o'clock in the morning, I wake. My mother was screaming. And that's the last consciousness she had. Following Friday, she was dead. My mom came within just about twenty-four hours of hell. And God Almighty entrusted the soul of a sixty-year-old woman into the grimy hands of a thirteen-year-old boy. I'm glad that I didn't fail. I'm glad that I didn't fail. You young people can be witnesses. You ought to be witnesses. You ought to do personal work. You ought to be strong. I write unto you, young man, because you're strong. And the word of God abideth in you. There's no place for sisses in this church. Amen. It's time for us to straighten up and be men and women. There's a job to be done. And then there was something else that came to me, and this is a confession.
I was 15 years old then, 15 and a half, and I failed. And I just lived with anybody that I could live with. And the summer I tried to get enough work to make me a little money so I could stay in school when school started. And Nobo wasn't a very big place. And there was all the Johnson's filling station, Mallory store, and Young Blood store. That was about the end of it. But there was a good number of boys around there. I was the only boy that had the Holy Ghost. We just old country boys. We peeled poles and sawed logs and cut up wood and did what we could in the summertime to make a little money. Sometimes it was too wet to work. Sometimes there was no work. We'd hang around on the young blood store porch and if we had any money, we'd drink RCs and eat candy bars. And fellows would play checkers. They'd play checkers all day long. Of course, I had the Holy Ghost and I didn't play. But, uh... There was a finest kind of a swimming hole over there across the field and down the hill and among the pines. And they call that Jones's Pond, complete with a rope and with an old tire and tall black gums around the edge, and it was a nice place. We whiled away many a long summer evening there in that old swimming hole. And among the boys, there was a boy that was a product of a broken home. He was a bully. And he'd run over you if you'd let him, but if you'd stand up to him, well, he'd treat you all right. And he liked me, and I thought he was all right, and most all the boys liked him, too. And I'll, I'll just call his, I'll give him the name of Jack. And the war was on, and people were dying, and it wouldn't be too long before we'd be draft age. And one night the Lord gave me a dream. And I saw old Jack, and he was in his khaki he had a mine detector implement in his hands, and he was slowly going up a road on the side of a mountain. There was other fellows fanned out around him, and he was looking for mines. I saw the equipment that he had with him and the tight clothes he had and his combat boots, and there he was. And all at once he stepped on a mine, and the thing went off, and he blew, he blew him into the air, and the dust went high, and when it cleared away, I looked, and he didn't have a foot. And all of his legs was just crumpled, just all crumpled under him, and blood was just shooting out. Most of his clothes blown off. And uh, it shot me. And I knew that uh, that wasn't just one of those bean dreams, that there was something to it. And I told my sister about it, my half-sister, about it the next day. And it kind of troubled her. It was rough going, and my sister was a widow woman, and she worked on the relief in, in a sewing room. And, and Jack's mom was a widow, and she worked on the relief, too, in the same sewing room. And so my sister told Jack's mom about it. And Jack's mom went home that night, and she was worried about it, and she said, Jack, I want to tell you something. Buddy, Buddy dreamed a dream about you the other night. And she told him about it. And the next day or so, well, uh, I don't know what happened, but there was nobody down at Youngblood's store but just me and Jack. I don't know where the other boys were. We fooled around for a while, and after a while he said, uh, Gee, buddy, he said, let's, let's, go, uh, let's go swimming. I said, no, it's no fun, just two of us this week. Wait a while. Somebody else will come along after a while. But he wanted us to go, just me and him to go. Come on, sure, let's go. 
So we walked across the field and down the hill among the pines and to the pond. We went in swimming. He was in first. We fooled around, played around. After a while, we was out in the middle of the pond. It was one of those long summer days, hot sun beating down. Tall black guns on the edge. Out yonder across the highway, well, some old crows was in Joe Kelly's peanut field, and we could hear them. And the water was splashing, and finally we just faced one another, and Jack said, Say, Jay Buddy, <laughs> said, I heard that you dreamed about me the other night. You dreamed that I got it, didn't you? And the Holy Ghost prompted me. See, God was in all of it. I believe, I must believe that God leads people today. I'm old-fashioned enough to believe that God can talk to me. The Holy Ghost said, now's your chance. Tell him. Tell him the war's on. Tell him it won't be long for all of us guys will be in uniform. That they're dying like flies today across the water. And, oh boy, you better go to church. You better get right with God. Tell him, tell him. He grinned at me through his tobacco-stained teeth and his black hair was matted on a suntan forehead and grinned at me and squirted some water in my face and said, what about it? Holy Ghost said, tell him. And I don't know why, but I didn't. I just didn't. The words were on my lips. It was right there. And there's some young people sitting right here today that knows what I'm talking about. You didn't say it that day in school. You could have said it, but you didn't say it. In the hall, when they pulled at your sleeve and said, Say, what church do you go to? There's a lot that you could have said, but you didn't say it, and you wanted to change the conversation. You were a little shy. You were a little bashful. You just didn't say it. So time went by. I went up for my examination, and I didn't pass it. I went to Bible school, and uh, a couple of years, I didn't even go back home. And then I went back home, and the war was going. Boys weren't around there anymore. It was, looked like a ghost place. Never was gone. I went back to school, went back to preaching. About two more years, and I came back home, and quite a few of the boys were back again. I was married at that time, and... I just got in the car one day and drove up to the store and got out and I told my wife, I said, I just want to go and I'm going to go in swimming where I used to go in swimming. This would be what I'd do some of the things I did when I was a boy. And so some of the boys were there. We bought our soda pops and got our candy bars and backed up to the counter, you know, and lifted ourselves up there and swung our feet and we teased and talked and just kind of like we used to. I really thought a lot of those old boys. And uh, we got to talking about the war. Did you hear about, uh, about C.B.? What, what about C.B.? Well, you know, he'd always wanted to be an airplane pilot. He got in the Air Force. He didn't wait till they drafted him. But he washed out as a pilot, and he turned out to be a gunner, a tail gunner. And the tail end of the plane was shot off over the Pacific, and they never saw it. And did you hear about so-and-so? No, I didn't hear about, uh, about Joel. No, I didn't hear about it. 
Well, just as they were fixing to go across, the, the last lead in the town, he was on the west coast, and, and they went into town that night, and there was a truckload of them, and he was the first one to jump out of the truck. And when he jumped out of the truck, a car came by, bam, cut him down, he died right there. He never did go across. And we talked about that, and then said somebody, did you hear about Jack? And a bell rung in my head, and my heart leaped. And I saw the tall black guns on the edge of the water. And I heard the blue jays. And I heard the crows in Joe Kelly's peanut patch across the room. I saw tobacco-stained teeth and dark hair matted on a wet forehead. Say, Jay, buddy, you dreamed about me the other night. You dreamed about him, didn't you? Jack, what about him? Well, well, he got it. Where was it? Well, it was in Italy. Yes. What about it? He was in the mine squad, and tell me old Jack was one of the best, and he never missed a one of them, but they just got orders to make the push on the Po Valley, and they say he must have been a little excited that day. Now I could have told him the rest. I knew more about it than they knew. I knew what kind of clothes he had on. I knew how long it took him to die. I knew more about it than they did. But they went ahead and told the grisly story anyway. Sometimes now when I'm tempted to hear somebody say, you better slow down, you're looking old. Seven days a week is too much. God didn't intend for you to kill somebody, kill yourself. I say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. I'll get away and I'll rest a little while and, and I lay down that night and I hear a husky voice beside my bed. Say, Jay, buddy, you dreamed about me last night. And I hear the blue jays and the top of the tall black guns. And I hear the crows across the highway. And I see tobacco-stained teeth and dark hair on a suntan forehead. Yes, sir. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. I want a song right now. Praise God. Praise God. I cannot help but feel that God's talking to somebody here today. Anybody can live a selfish life, but there's a big job to be done. God did not tell me to build a church. God did not tell me to accumulate a big congregation. God didn't tell me to do that. God told me to lay myself out to a lost world, to take the oversight of a flock, and the rest is to take care of itself. Praise God. Sing it.
Let's all sing the chorus again. congregation this afternoon, young people here that have not been witnessing, but you're going to ask God for the wisdom and the grace to do it. You're going to see to it that you do witness, that you're going to spend more time with your Bible. Thank God, thank God. I'd like for you to make that consecration today. If you come to God with that proposition, don't come. Don't come unless you're planning on starting next week at it. Praise the Lord. Praying and asking God for a door of utterance. Lord, give me a chance to say something about my lovely Lord today to somebody. Praise God. Praise God. But if you want that kind of a life, the Christ life, praise the Lord, the real Christian life. Amen. As we sing this chorus again, sing it. I'd like for you to find your way to the front just for a season of prayer. Praise God. Praise God. You feel like that you could come on a proposition like that? I don't want to be a nominal Christian. I want to be an effective Christian. I want my life to count. I don't want to waste my time in my Lord's life. I want it to count. I want it to count. Amen. 